You're listening to a podcast of Spurious Morality. Theme tune goes here. Welcome to a podcast of spurious morality. This is the aptly named episode 9, where we're going to be talking about the Ninth Doctor. Can you see what we did there? Uh, With me, I have got Connor. Hello. Hello, Connor. And I have got Sam as well, for the first time. Hello, Sam. Hello, thank you for having me. You're welcome. Um, So, yeah, it's the Ninth Doctor episode, which we've wanted to do from the very start and we seem to have mentioned how much we love Christopher Eccleston at Big Finish and all that kind of thing in I think every episode so far so let's talk about him properly um spoiler warning this week is basically the ninth doctor all tv all big finish and we're going to talk books as well so if you uh if you don't want to be spoiled for the Ninth Doctor, if you don't know what happens at the end of Parting of the Ways, maybe this one isn't for you. All right, then. Um, so the Ninth Doctor has been at Big Finish for quite a while now. It's been just over a year since the first release, and we've had five sets in that time. It's it's sort of quite a quick schedule. We like that. Um, so I'm just going to ask you guys sort of very quickly, let's just start off by uh, telling us what your favourite Ninth Doctor set from Big Finish so far is. So, Connor, you go first. I just want to say before you know, go any further how, how amazing it is that we get to say we're just over a year after Christopher Eccleston's first Big Finish. Oh, absolutely. It's absolutely. amazing. Uh, but my favourite one so far is it's the second set, Respond to All Calls. Um, and I love it because it's, uh, I think it's the most consistently strong across all three episodes. Um, I love all, I love all three episodes unconditionally. They're brilliant. Um, but it also, I think, has given us the best variety in each set because you have, and it sort of follows the, the same trend as the old BBC books used to take where you have um, a present day episode a past episode and then a sort of futuristic space episode um so it's quite it's quite good that you know that we have that set you know with that variety in it but the stories in it as well are just excellent i i would definitely call it my favorite it was an incredibly strong set and i think for a lot of people it was uh, the moment uh, for a lot of people it was the moment where uh, they went oh yeah the ninth doctor is very much back and these are very sort of strong interesting stories um but yeah girl deconstructed absolutely loved that story it was great uh sam what about you favorite ninth doctor set i think it's got to be responsible cause as well um kind of for for the reasons that have already already been mentioned uh probably get into that a little bit uh in a moment but um yeah, that, so like we said that already, I think uh, also it's very strong on my mind because I've just listened to it, but I thought Back to Earth was, uh, well, it's fantastic. Um, it's re- um, all three of those. I was a little bit sceptical about the theme of Back to Earth because like, oh, the Ninth Doctor on Earth, never seen that before. Oh, what but, a like, novelty. <laughs> yeah, but it like, um, they all, every story was, was really strong and did kind of like, like, Oh, I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah. I just like, I just want to gush about it. Uh, I like, I had Old Lang Syne just the other day. I thought it was, it was great. And they kind of like they do Back to Earth and they use it to tell kind of like 
quite neat like personal stories a little bit how to go deconstructed was but it's it's doing so it's like it's nice to have that as a persistent theme of a box set like sort of personal relationship per, personal relations and things um i think yeah that because that, that's kind of that's a lot of what series one is about and so putting this incarnation of the character in stories like that and where he's relating to ordinary people in that way i think just just works really well yeah absolutely it's it's a really difficult question to answer actually isn't it what's the best ninth doctor set because as you say the quality has been so good pretty much all the way through Mm -hmm. um i have to admit that uh, i think my favorite so far has been uh old friends um it just sort of uh it served as like a perfect season finale uh, to what was essentially Christopher Eccleston's second season as the Doctor, and it still feels so good to say that. Um, but yeah, I, I I really liked the Brigadier. It was a good Cyberman story. It was it was just very well put together, and I think that the the story that came before it, kind of tying into that finale as well, uh, was quite nice. So thematically, it was quite a strong set. Um, but yeah, it's there isn't really a wrong answer to this question. It's it's been brilliant to just have the ninth Doctor at big finish. So it's been, as we've already said, just over a year since uh, Ravagers came out and the ninth Doctor came back. It's been almost two years since it was announced. I just think uh, we should pick apart some of the stuff we've had and what we've enjoyed, so we've mentioned uh, Girl Deconstructed already, a sort of a very, very strong episode. Um, are there any others we'd like to talk about? Connor, you go first. Um, yeah, my absolute favourite, as you know, as I said in earlier on there, um, Respond to All Calls is my favourite set. I think my favourite story to date has to be Fright Motif. Uh, the second episode in Respond to All Calls. It's I really love the three guest characters in that. Um, they're all really well rounded, really well built, um, up each in their own way. Um, it's a really lovely story about. It's it's actually quite a sad story as well. It's, it's it deals with quite a lot about um, about grief and about loss and, um how how people process that um but it's it's really well done and that scene spoilers for anyone the scene in <laughs> uh in the blanket fort in in maurice's it's, it's not i can't remember the, the character's name now but it's it's maurice's partner's uh flat that they go to to hide from the monster and they sort of build a blanket fort to dampen out the sound um that it exists in um and there's a bit in there where they talk through it and and sort of open up to one another, and it's a really really lovely moment. It it always has stuck in my head. Um, I I just think it's absolutely fantastic. It, it also serves a wee bit as a like a Christopher Eccleston or as a Ninth Doctor Christmas story. I think they mention that it's set in around Christmas, and that's something I like to take off for each Doctor that there's there's a something I can listen to in around Christmas. And I was really delighted that we got a Ninth Doctor one. And of course, Old Lang Syne's given us a New Year special as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually planning that to be the last thing I listen to from Big Finish this year. I'm saving it again for New Year's Eve. Oh, great idea. Fantastic. Uh, what about you, Sam? Sort of any highlights you want to mention? Um, apart from... Uh, I th- apart from Old Lang Syne, which I've just heard, um, I think... Uh, fond farewell. Fond farewell. Um, I thought... The way, um, well, Connor, you you just spoke about how you, like the you love the guest characters in Fright Motif, and I think that's actually something that's been so strong about this range, kind of like the whole way through. Um, they, I mean, like a small cast is kind of a big finish staple at this point, but like the, all of the ones that all of these like Eccleston stories we got, they've had like a really good, well characterized cast that have great relationships with each other, and that was also great about Fun Farewell. Um, you know, so, uh, and just the kind of like the concept of it, you know, like 
when when someone dies they do become this kind of like slightly imagined version of themselves and this goes a step beyond it's kind of like what if you could meet that person that person who only now exists in your head um and like it's a great sci-fi concept but it's done in such a personal way you know there's no real threat to the thing the whole there's well sorry there's threat but there's no enemy you know it's it's like the the whole threat of it comes from the kind of like that like that that tension that comes that, that death brings and it's kind of like relationship betrayal and what to what to like erase all of that and then like oh it was just, oh it was great <laughs> it was great um and really really characterful i loved it yeah and as i've already mentioned it was i just found it to be the perfect lead into uh the finale uh which was way mm. of the Bowman and the fourth generation it's fond farewell yeah it's sort of the events of that that make the doctor go oh actually i want to catch up with the brigadier yeah, um, yeah, and I really like how their meeting was. It was part of the theme of the set. It wasn't just oh, I'm gonna go and meet an old friend. There was something happened to the doctor that made him realise he wanted to go and actually visit an old friend. Yeah, um, that yeah. friend being the bigger day. I I really did sort of enjoy that um, as a setup for the next yeah. story, and it was a very very strong episode in its own right. I actually listened to uh, Fond Farewell last. I did the two-parter first because I sort of wanted... Well, I, I'm not, like, such a huge... F- I thought I thought that two-part was great, but uh, I, I'm not such a, huge, such a huge fan of, like, returning characters and returning monsters, so I was like, I'll get that out of the way first and then listen to the, like, the spacey sort of personal scene one after. Um, so it was interesting, just I like, had that going the other way around, like, the sort of, like, the payoff before the setup. Um, I also... It's something I liked about Fond Farewell is we're visiting we're meeting uh, like a f- an old friend of the Doctor's that we've never met before and the Doctor must have like thousands millions of them throughout the universe that we never see or, or occasionally we'll catch up in in the odd sort of story like oh this is my old pal such and such that we've never heard of before but like actually ha- making that the focus of an episode and actually their their dynamic was actually pretty well done like with the flashbacks and stuff um, I just thought that was, that was really neat yeah I it's something that I'm surprised doesn't happen more often, sort of people knowing the Doctor and the Doctor knowing people. Um, it very rarely, sorry, very rarely pops up on screen every now and again, sort of in Terror of the Void Voyage, you've got, oh, it's my old friend, Tonka Travers. And we've never met him before, obviously. But it's, I like the idea that the universe is populated with people that the Doctor has met and has become friends with and got on with. It's definitely something I appreciated. I think um, it's one of the Seventh Doctor, Ace, and Hex ones where they drop in on like a whole group of the Doctor's old friends. I think Nocturne. it's Nocturne. I was about to mention that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's yeah. I really, really loved that about about Nocturne. I think Nocturne's uh, probably one we're going to talk about in the Halloween special. Um, but yeah, Ooh. very good story, and I'd completely forgotten that bit of it actually. But yes, you're right. It's yeah, it's a good story. Um, and it does use, again, use that quite well, that Doctor knowing the people before he arrives sort of uh, plot device. Um, so I'm sure we'll uh, float back to Big Finish, but let's talk about uh, Christopher Eccleston's time, short though it was, on TV as the Doctor. Uh, we got that one series out of him, and it was... I mean, I just I remember the build up to that series. It was absolutely amazing. Uh, you know, Doctor Who was coming back. Christopher Eccleston was the Doctor, and twelve-year-old me did actually uh, speak to him over the phone on BBC Radio Five. So it was live, and he was doing an interview on there, and they were sort of calling now with questions for the Doctor. So I did. Uh, I actually got to speak to Eccleston just before. I think it was about a week before. Rose was broadcast. That's um, very cool. Yeah, that's quite good. <laughs> it was quite good. I've still got a recording of it stashed away somewhere. I'll have to sort of find it and add it to an episode at some point with my terrible high pitched twelve year old tones. Um I mean where do you where do you start with series one? It's it's so consistently good. 
it fires on all cylinders right from the start, right to the end. Eccleston's brilliant all the way through. It's. I think if I said to you, tell me what your favourite episode is, we'd probably be here talking about it all night. I don't think we'd be able to settle on an individual one. Um, but I'm going to Boomtown. anyway. It's Boomtown. <laughs> Sorry, Boomtown. I jumped the gun there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. What? what why the? Uh, I mean, I like Boomtown. Do not get me wrong. I like Boomtown. But why the love for Boomtown, Sam? Um, because it's the the only time in the series that you truly see the Ninth Doctor like happy. He's just hang for for like a- enough of the runtime. He's just hanging out with his pals and he's having fun. Um, and he need he needed that really. Um, I think I always I always love like Doctor Who stories that give you a glimpse of like the the kind of the kind of like joy that you must come with like traveling through time and all of this and just like just seeing the sights and enjoying company of people and all and all of that kind of thing before the peril kicks in um and that is why yeah, yeah it's just it's just nice it's kind of again it's getting to those kind of like personal dynamics and just you get to see them like having a laugh and even the the until you know the cardiff riff starts cracking reality open um that episode is pretty light-hearted and gentle for everyone involved the whole the whole way through um and i really like that it's like it's a bit of breathing space before the big finale. So, yeah, I see what you mean. And actually, um, when you think about it, a very important part of Rose's arc is how amazing and wonderful and fun it is to travel with the Doctor. We only actually get to see the bits where she nearly ends up dead. We don't get to see the good bits, apart from when something like Boomtown comes along and they're just sort of hanging out in Cardiff and high-fiving about taking off into time and space and all that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. It's it's a really good and nice episode. And I think um, bringing back Annette Babland as Margaret the Slovene again um, added a nice bit of continuity uh, to the series. It made the series, you know, the beginning of the series feel a bit more connected to the end of the series and I think it would have been very easy to sort of get lost um, but it kind of reattaches it to that initial sort of sense of adventure that the first four or five episodes of every series kind of bring before it gets into the more nitty gritty stuff um, it was also sort of something a bit more relatively light hearted before Dalek massacres the two weeks afterwards um, I'm going to go to you, Connor. What what would you pick from series one? I I I don't know. I don't know where to begin, um, because it's <laughs> all I can't I can't pick a bad one out from series one. It's such a high standard, um, and it feels like the whole way throughout the series, it feels like you can maybe get a sense of the team behind it going. This is our one and only chance to make Doctor Who. Let's just throw everything at it and make it brilliant. Because um, they didn't know they were, you know, if they were going to get another series, if this was going to be, you know, another TV movie situation where they get commissioned once and it doesn't work out. Um, but it did, thankfully, and it has gone on and become Doctor Who again, to the extent, you know, that we have. We're sitting here; it was like seventeen years down the line now, still talking about it. Um, but the one I or the stories I always think of when I think about series one are the Empty Child and the Doctor dances. I really love that big mid-season epic, um, and that slot every year in Russell's first era was always a big hit. Um, but the Empty Child and the Doctor dances, brilliant. I I I adore them. Um, and I I I I think. It introduces Jack for a start, who I, I always loved Jack, you know, as a kid. He was, he was, uh, you know, possibly my favourite thing about Doctor Who at that time. Um, it brought him into it. It was set, you know, back in World War Two, and it was something that they could realise, you know, really well, the whole setting um, and the atmosphere of it all. Um, and it's, it's, it's really, I think the creepiness of it as well was something that I I, I liked. I, I was I was terrified of it, but not 
not run screaming for the hills, terrified, you know, the good kind where this is amazing. I want, you know, I want to cover my eyes, but I can't stop watching. It has that air about it. So that was great. Um, yeah, it's just really good. Great big blockbustery mid-season uh, epic, really. And of course, Moffat's first. Yeah, yeah. And, and what a one to start with. I think um, it's it was very very clear straight away that Moffat really really understood something about writing Doctor Who, and there were just so many things in there that sort of um, were very very clearly his style and him making his own stamp on it. Even though at that point it yeah. wasn't his show at all, it hits all the beats, doesn't it? It's like it's it's really scary, but it's also like really really funny. Like just consistently the, the the whole way through, but especially in the second half, um, I think my talking about it being scary. I know for a fact that I it didn't really bother me as a kid, but it really really creeped out and terrified my mum because it's like child based horror, and it's about a child wanting to be let in from the cold and the and the terror, and that unsettled her a lot more as an adult uh, than it did for me as as like an eight year old. So. Yeah, there is something sort of. It's. I mean, I. I. I think that just using sort of a gas mask as essentially the image of your monster is genius as well. I mean, that's a gas mask is something that everybody sees kind of in history lessons, or you know, it's a fairly. It's a fairly common image. It's something that pretty much everybody will see, um, and it's associated with war and with death and disaster and. It's just such a powerful image to kind of utilise as something designed to scare the living daylights out of people at seven o'clock on a Saturday night. Yeah, um, I love it's, that. It's 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 you know it's it's that same sort of thing as he did with Weeping Angels. It was let's make statues scary. It was the same thing with the Vashti Narada. It was let's make shadows scary. Here's a child in a mask. Let's make that scary. That's something you can do in the playground. You know, as a kid. Um, which was, you know, that's a really genius move to put something in Doctor Who that you can then, you know, kids can go go away then and, and play. You know, you don't need, you know, you don't need to imagine, you know, a monster or whatever. It's just a kid in a mask. Yeah, it's... And again, that's a very, very Moffat thing, isn't it? It's sort of making, making the normal absolutely terrifying... But I suppose again, it's something Doctor Who has done incredibly well. Sort of near enough from the beginning, um, you know, Planet of Giants had a cat, just a normal everyday house cat, as it's Planet so of Giants the villain, scary. But an obstacle. You are. It's Planet of Giants scary. Um, Planet of Giants. <laughs> uh, is a Doctor Who story. It Moving on. Is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 it was the one story I caught in the Twitch marathon, um, which I saw actually was four years ago now, which is no time. No. Um, yeah, 2018. Four years. Good grief, it was. But that was the one story that I managed to sit down and catch in full during that. And I actually did enjoy it. I, I love the image of them standing in a sink. Um, but... Um, I know what you mean. It's, it's it's the threat or the you know the the ordinary made threatening, if not particularly scary. Yeah, it was sort of it was pretty well done there, and it was well done in Spearhead from Space. So much so that Russell T Davis did it again in Rose. I mean, there are bits of Rose that are a, effectively a shot for shot remake of Spearhead, um, and again, it's just you know a lot of people sort of say, um, oh, you know, the Autons are good, they should come back, and Big Finish is bringing them back a couple of times in the next few months. But I just sort of think, actually, are the Autons only really effective when they, they're just a generic monster and they're just that, you know, they turn something normal that we see every day, plastic, into a threat? And actually, that's really, really good a concept for introducing Doctor Who to new audiences, rebooting it slightly, um, not including the 
sort of uh, brief appearance in the Series 5 finale in Pandorica Opens, uh, the Autons have always been used to reboot Doctor Who to some extent. Um, Spearhead from Space, it was, you know, relaunched in colour with a new Doctor. Uh, Terror of the Autons, it was sort of, it was a very soft reboot. It was kind of moving properly into the Barry Letts era and, it, you know, not as on the nose as Spearhead, but nevertheless, it was still a little bit of a sort of a redirecting of the series. And then, obviously, in Rose, that was the big return, and there was a hell of a lot hanging on Rose. And I really do think that using the Autons was perhaps, of all the monsters available to him, the perfect choice for Russell T. Davis to make. It's such a strong visual, isn't it? Like, I, I think, like, the the Autons lose something on audio a little bit. You've kind of got the gun hand sound effect and not a whole lot else. I mean, like, uh, Brave New Town is, is really good, don't get me wrong. But I think they... As an enemy, their 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 strength comes in just such a very ordinary thing. The mannequin coming to life in a way that's totally unnatural, and I think it was actually although when series one aired, I instantly became like a huge nerd for the series and like researched everything and all of that. It was actually a while before I realised that the Autons were a returning enemy because they're not named in the episode, right? Like you, the the nestiness, but like it, you, you don't. It, it kind of like to me as as a child watching that it's so fresh and new and unexpected like and i wasn't aware of anything that was going to happen when that episode aired at all so it was just yeah it just like hit really brilliantly as someone that was uh, a totally new viewer which is what what needed to happen yeah it, i mean there's no denying that sort of rose as an episode did its job absolutely it got over 10 million and the vast, vast majority of them stuck with it. Um and yeah, it was it was a great introduction for the Ninth Doctor, it was a great introduction for Rose. And again we have that, as we've said, that really, really effective use of the everyday as something threatening. Um I am going to give a special mention to maybe not my favourite episode of Series 1, but one that I do feel is a bit underappreciated, and that is The Long Game. Um, Because at the time, a lot of people sort of criticised it a bit, and okay, it comes immediately after the Daleks coming back, so it was always going to be a little bit of a step down in terms of spectacle, excitement and threat. But it sets up so much for the finale and it's it's a really nice little story. There's an awful lot going on there. You've got sort of, you know, uh, the difference between a good companion or companion material and not companion material. Uh, you've got um, things being manipulated in the background. There's a lot about news being manipulated. You know, we've got effectively the concept of fake news 10 years before the phrase was coined by somebody let's let's not mention um so yeah the long game does an awful lot manages to be a very fun episode and does have some very very good performances in it simon Pegg was in doctor who and that was great so yeah bit of love for the long game anybody with me on this it's good. It's all good. It's all good. It's series one. But I, I think, like, it when you're watching the series in order, it feels like a, a slightly odd... It's not inconsequential. Like you said, there's loads loads happening in that episode. But when the way that that is later paid off in in the finale is just, just excellent. Um, and I think it's... Although you can tell Series 1 had some like limitations in setting, like I wish they'd gone to some more planets, I absolutely understand why they didn't for sort of budgetary and, and not just budget, but in terms of like selling the show to, to people. Um, but like returning to that setting, I know they just had to reuse some sets, but it really, really works out. Um, the whole, yeah, the, the transformation of, uh, what's, what's it called? Is it? Platform ones um, and of the worlds. What's the the game station? But it's called Satellite something else. Five. Satellite Five. Satellite Five. Satellite Five. Kind of echoes series or season twelve. Sorry, Tom Baker's first series as well, because you have, again, for the same reason that they knew that we're going to have to reuse sets. You have the Ark in space, and then you get the same setting reused later on in Revenge of the Cybermen. So it, it kind of there's a bit of a 
history repeating itself aspect to it there with the long game. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's, I mean, I really like those two stories in season 12 as well. And it's every now and again, reusing your sets really can work. It's Doctor Who's always thrived when it's sort of had to save a bit of money, I guess. Um, Let's talk about the finale. Bad Wolf and Parting of the Ways. Which I watched recently and I have to admit it's it's dated. It's definitely dated, sort of, you know, the big brother in Weakest Link and Um I can't even remember what the Trini and Susanna one was. Was it what not to wear? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I mean they're they're all long gone now. I think Big Brother's probably still sort of scraping a barrel somewhere, but uh I th- I th- they're bringing I it think back. Big so Brother's heard. making a return at some point yeah, soon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh good lord. And Robinson's still kicking. <laughs> Increasingly cybernetic by the day. And the weakest link's back as well. Oh, good grief, it's all coming true. <laughs> Hear me out, we've had fake news, that's become a thing, and now Big Brother and Weakest Link are coming back. We're all going to be in the game station soon. I want Bear With Me, uh, the show where the housemates have to live with a bear to become real. Then, then we're truly living in the reality that, uh, yeah, Russell predicted. <laughs> I'm amazed that either A, nobody has pitched it, or B, Big Finish haven't done it yet. <laughs> I can just see that. The Ninth Doctor Adventures, bear with me. <laughs> what do you think the present day equivalent would be for game shows in, in the game station? Um, would there be a Love Island floor? What, but you you get drowned if you get chucked off the island or something like that? <laughs> yeah. Or, or pointless. Uh, the chase yeah. where you actually get chased. That's that's fantastic, yeah. <laughs> it's pointless, but you get crushed by the number of rocks. Ah, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. There we go. <laughs> so if you, if you sort of get one or two points, you'll have a bit of a headache, but you'll be fine. But if you, if you get something that's in the 50s and 60s, you're, you're gone. Oh dear. Somebody's listening to this, like making notes, going, oh yeah, we'll have that one. Oh dear. What have we done? But yeah, Bad Wolf and Parting of the Ways. Um, It was sort of. Is it fair to say that it was Doctor Who's first ever sort of high stakes season finale? Yeah, I guess because the the, the classic seasons don't really have it. They have. the, the kind of serial nature of them means that everything ramps up every four to six weeks and then it's just and then and that's eventually that happens enough times and it's the end of the season i think like yeah like the the thing about series one is it's it's doctor who for the modern day like it's and it's using the new the the televisual language has changed massively since 1989 and so everything is done in a totally different way and audiences have come to expect a big high stakes finale they've come to expect um sort of like an arc seeded through the, the season which it is with bad wolf and they've yeah the the kind of i'd sort of i was going somewhere with that and it's gone <laughs> but but that that's kind of yeah like the, because of how tv had changed so much in the interim um it kind of had had to be this way and also russell t is incredibly savvy and knew what he was doing with the relaunch and so he was very much making it for now he wasn't doing it as like some legacy reboot let's bring it back because people used to like it it's let's bring it back and make it amazing for 2005 yeah absolutely and obviously that kind of the concept of the series finale has very much sort of stayed with us ever since then there's always maybe one or two exceptions but there's new enough always been a high stakes end of the series kind of event uh, ever since then. I absolutely think it was the right way to go. Um, there are probably some people sort of listening going, oh, well, Legopolis was a season finale and the War Games was a season finale. And yeah, you know, season 18, it did have a nice sort of thematic link that Legopolis to an extent paid off, but it was completely on sort of a thematic level. I do um, think rigid, sorry. I do think regeneration episodes are the only times that you really see that in in the classic era at all. It's because there is a sense 
that they're concluding a chapter in a way that you don't really get with the end of I don't know like season 13 or or, or whatever like it, it just doesn't there's no need to cap things off in the same way yeah I'd agree um, and I think that uh, it's yeah it's great that we've had these sort of strong end of series episodes although I would say that there's got to be a point where the Doctor finds it strange that after a big epic event in their life happens, such as a regeneration or a companion leaving them or the Daleks turning up again, they end up at Christmas. Uh, the TARDIS obviously goes, oh, you've had a horrible time, let's go to Christmas. Um, and Christmas yeah, is going to be horrible as well. <laughs> yes. Good luck. But at least it's horrible with tinsel. Um, but I absolutely think that sort of Bad Wolf and Parting of the Ways, they really did a good job of upping the ante and, you know, the, the episodes are an absolute bloodbath. There are a lot of characters killed off. There are a lot of characters that we've actually come to like killed off. Um, still not over Linda with a Y. Sort of all this time later. Um, your thoughts on that finale, Connor? brilliant i've i've you know i've watched it over and over that many times it was it was whenever me and my brother were were kids we got used to get in around christmas we got the dvd because do you remember they used to release the dvds in like four volumes over the year or through you know after the series so you had the first three episodes in one set we always used to get in around christmas the um the finale one um so it was um used to watch them over and over you know on repeat nearly so i've seen it that many times it's 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 great i know what you mean you know maybe about it feeling dated but i think the whole of series one has maybe in the same way you know there's that interview with russell t davies i think on the set of rose it was their first day and he says it's it's the same old doctor who it's just got a great big wadge of 2005 stuck in it and yeah, you can see that it's 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 definitely Doctor Who of two thousand and five, but it's 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 great and again the perfect finale for. As I said earlier, they maybe thought they were only going to get one series. It's, it, I agree with you that it's it's a story you can go back to, even though it is full of at this point, 17-year-old references, um, it's still very, very revisitable, and I think it's Eccleston's performance that actually makes that for a lot of it. You get to see him kind of pushing it a bit beyond, you know, does he... He almost does reach that point where he's willing to basically be the War Doctor again, even though this was way before the War Doctor had been conceived where he sort of, you know, am I going to wipe everybody out just to stop the Daleks? Um, but yeah, it really gives him a chance to kind of push his Doctor up to 11 in a way that we'd never seen before. Um, but yeah. It's the it's the culmination of his arc, isn't it? And and that's it's something we've never really seen again as a single series, like, complete, sort of, well-executed, like like contained like art story arc for a doctor i think you 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 see it again with capaldi in that kind of a kind of like transition within the character but capaldi gets three series to play out his his character arc and his transformation whereas eccleston had to do it in one and he nailed it and the the the, i think the the whole of series one feels complete because it's kind of as we've said like they didn't know they were going to make it again or they didn't know they were going to get to make it again and it, it kind of exists in this series one exists in this kind of space before before Doctor Who the the product kind of like set in because obviously it became a massive success and with that came all sorts of other things along with it like obviously there were times to series one that we're going to talk about in a minute but like it sort of exists in this space before, like totally Doctor Who, um, the, the battles in time cards, like the, the Doctor Who frubes, all of which I I like look back on with fondness, but it's kind of a bit rubbish as well. Um, it's kind of like yeah, that's that's something I re- I appreciate about the series and that kind of like moment in the history of the show. Um, 
it does have to be said that the Christmas present to have in 2005 was a remote-controlled Dalek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I you're absolutely right. Absolutely I called right. mine Derek. <laughs> Derek the Dalek. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, no, I agree with you. It, it really was sort of... And I've mentioned this before about Eccleston, how he did effectively manage to do a sort of three-season Doctor story arc, but in one. Uh, and do it incredibly well. But, you know, very strong writing and very strong acting all contributed towards that. Um, Should we talk about books? Let's. Let's. So, I remember um, getting all the books as soon as they came out for The Ninth Doctor. And for some reason, The Ninth Doctor is the only time I did that. I stopped at Tennant, and I don't know why. I've read a lot of them since, but like with The Ninth Doctor, I had The Monsters Inside on the day it was released, and I was sort of reading my way through it. Um, and I really liked Monsters Inside. I thought it was great. It was very clever of them to kind of give it such a close link to the series uh, by featuring uh, the Slitheen. Um But, uh, yeah, I have sort of very fond memories of reading that one and should really, really return to it at some point. Uh, Connor, what about you in terms of Ninth Doctor books? Yeah, I I adored them. And and any time, you know, a new batch came out, I I, I went through them ridiculously quickly. Um, I think in a lot of ways they're our generation's version of the Target novels. Because yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. You hear a lot of people saying, you know, oh, the you know the target novels or Terran Sticks taught me to read. Pretty much, yeah. With the new series adventures, I think, um, in 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 my case at least, you know, I I even you know, for years later, going through school and all, you know, I would have one of those books in my pocket, um. Because I I love them so much, you know the whole range, and I think it's a real shame that we don't really get them anymore. That yeah, there's not yeah, yeah. a set of books coming out alongside each series. Um, but I did reread one. It's it's been years since I reread most of them. Um, particularly the Ninth Doctor ones, but I did reread uh, the Deviant Strain coming into this. Uh, because I remembered it, I think being my favorite you know, at the time in 2005. Um, I think the characters, their voices are all captured really well. You know, I've no issue, you know, imagining Eccleston or Barrowman or Piper, you know, acting those acting those uh, lines and those scenes out. Um, I think it's a great book for Jack. I think his whole story with Valeria and him insisting that she's kept safe even when when all the other characters have given up on her is is really great. And you can imagine that this is, you know, how the Doctor has affected him and how travelling in the TARDIS has affected him because he's quite, you know, he's quite a self-centred character when he meets the Doctor back in um, The Empty Child and the Doctor Dances. Um, so it's, it's, it's a nice, as I say, it's a nice book. It's a good story for him. I don't think it's just as good for Rose. I think she maybe ends up feeling like a bit of a third wheel to the Doctor and Jack at times, which isn't really how a book set during series one should feel. I think, but it's 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 um yeah it's not bad. I I really liked the horror vibes to it. Um, it's quite atmospheric. You know the freezing atmosphere. The um slow threatening but lethal monsters um i seem to remember that's that's one without kind of or it turns out there's no kind of like actual malicious enemy is it it's it's a kind of like technological malfunction type thing is that right so there's there's a lot of threat and horror but it's it kind of like there isn't like an evil force behind it do you know what i mean um is that is that correct or I, i haven't read it for ages no and i know i know what you mean but there is there's it's like the ship 
uh, it's, there's a ship underground that like alien technology has fallen into yeah, human yeah, hands, yeah. and that the humans then are the villains. There's humans who are trying to yes, use it to yes, keep yeah, themselves yeah. immortal. Um, I'm trying to remember. I think uh, the the policewoman in the town, her name's Sophia. Ah, uh, uh, yes, her. yes. She's the main villain for a lot of it, and then we'll find out there's a few others sort of helping her. Uh-huh, um, so uh-huh. there is, there is that, yeah. I, do, I remember um, I've got a really clear vi- image of like when I read it, what I imagined the like spaceship remotes look like, the sort of blobby things, um, and also the the scene where they find the spaceship sticks in my mind a lot with the kind of like desiccated. They you think you they're going to happen upon like the alien who's controlling it all, and that's just like a desiccated dead body. I thought it was a great like a great moment, and the, and it kind of like yeah everything like changes from that point. Yeah, and there's some really horrible scary imagery in there as well um there's a bit in the ship where we find or the 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 characters keep mentioning that there was a shipment of monkeys ordered to the research lab and no one knows where they went and we eventually find them in the spaceship with bits of human bodies grafted onto them it's it's ah yeah that might be what i'm remembering actually yeah 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 (laughs) yeah um and um uh, Sophia's transformation sort of to an aged crone and back again, you know, as she uses the the rejuvenation equipment. It, it's really, really scary stuff. And uh, any that you sort of want to mention, Sam? Ah, well, well, yeah. Uh, so a couple, actually. I'm probably going to talk quite quickly <laughs> for, a, for a couple of minutes because I want to get this in. Fine, um, but uh, yeah, so um, the first of the range, like the Clockwise Man, it, very dear to me. I think it's probably the first... Um, the first thing I ever owned with like Doctor Who on it, basically. Um, but what's what I think is really interesting about it is the fact that it, it represents a, a bit of a transition between the old ranges of novels and the new one. There's obviously, I'm sure the people writing those early uh, like new series adventures knew that they were writing for like a new younger audience that was going to come on with the show. But you can tell that Justin Richards is trying to adapt to that a little bit. Like so, I've I've had I've owned it since I was like nine, but I think like I didn't ever read it the whole way through until I was about fifteen or so because for for a kid it's kind of boring, right? Like I really like it now, but like it's it's a bit dull in the sense that there's no there's no monsters which were what the show was about for me when I was that age. Um, this there's a lot of kind of like political intrigue both in terms of like the alien society that's involved and also to do with kind of like the aftermath of the Russian Revolution and like um, the exiles that have come to London. Um, and it's it moves at quite a, a languid pace. There's a lot of stuff with the Doctor and Rose just kind of like being in 1920s London and getting to know the characters. The, the TARDIS goes missing, so they're just kind of stuck there or get stolen and they're just kind of stuck there. Um, and it just kind of moves at a... Yeah, it moves slowly and it's a lot about character and their interactions and, and revelations about them rather than about a, a sort of like, um, I don't know, a whiz-bang monster adventure, which some of those later books, like the David Tennant books that I, I read and loved, are a bit more about. Um, and I think it kind of represents, basically, it, it feels in tone and setting, feels a little bit more like an Eighth Doctor adventure, like something from the, the like earth arc from those rather than what the nsas would sort of become later um so yeah that's that's my thought on that one um so uh the other one is only human um like that one is just like it's it's so so good and you can feel the legacy of the 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 new adventures and the eighth doctor adventures in a different way um because what's so good about only human is it it uses the format of the of the book really well it's not it's not literary but it, it it absolutely could only be a book you know like some of the the new series novels end up being a little bit like an adventure on tv but we've written it down instead kind of like taking that slight target novels approach but for just stories that don't exist but only only human could only be a book it's so much of what's good about it relies on the the inner perspectives of the characters um like the the interludes with with Jack and the 
Neanderthal. I forget his. I forget his name. But like they're 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 like an obvious like humorous highlight of the book. They're, they're, it's like amazing. They break up the structure really nicely. And but you get like perspective of like two thousand and five Bromley from like a Neolithic man and a fifty first century man, and both of them reacting to the same events in in totally different ways. Just wouldn't work in any other medium. Um, it's so good and and such a ripe area for comedy um there's also you so yeah another thing that's great about the book is the the, the enemies i can't um the monsters are called the hybractors what is the v- villain called i can't remember but anyway she's gone back to like uh stone age times experimenting on people and all of this stuff but she comes from a far future culture after some big emp blast has wiped out all of earth's technology so she comes she's from a super advanced like society and all of the the a lot of the characters are from this super advanced society that is entirely entirely analog um and it's such an original approach to kind of like um the future and time travel in in doctor who and it leads to basically they're really advanced like chemically and you get this scene where she's experimenting on the doctor and changing his his perception his mind like just doing like open heart surgery on him while he's fully conscious and all of this stuff and as the that like chapter or section goes on you can see the doctor starting to react to things in a different way he's like oh i'm I'm really happy now that's weird but oh well i'm really happy and and it's something that you could only get in a novel it's it's great and it's that was that's the main strength of those previous ranges of books is their doctor who done as novels and because that's what they were then um and that's and the best of those embrace the novel format and that's something that only human does as well and you can tell it was written by someone who had written those books before yeah it's i mean the it was only six ninth doctor books wasn't it it was sort of two two lots of three uh the hit rate on them was fantastic yeah yeah yeah. sort of they were all very different but they were all very strong um and yeah it's it seems as though they were kind of as well thought out as the series itself was and you know they did tell six very different stories yeah they they stick in the mind a bit more than the tenant books i think because like tenant got what like like 30 at least i think um and not that like there's some real highlights in the david tennant books but they don't they, they there's kind of they do some of them do feel a bit more forgettable and and throw away perhaps than the night doctor ones partly that that's just by just in a kind of like a numerical thing like because there's only six they stick in your mind more but like yeah that's definitely that's definitely a thing and I like that, it, it, and this is something that the range did the whole way through. I think that because they released in sets of three, and I like that they always did, most of the time, they always did like a past, present, future thing, kind of replicating the start of like a Davies era series. Um, and and as a child, and also now, uh, that's I really I really enjoyed that. Ah, excellent stuff. It's I'm glad there's still sort of a lot of love for those books, and I really really must revisit them sometime. But I. There's a real nostalgia there of sort of going out and buying all three of them on the day of release and just reading until I'd finished with them, basically. I always um, went for the spacey ones. I, uh, I've sort of like backfilled my, my shelf a little bit in, in years since, but I always just was like, nope, that one's set on an alien planet. I'm having that one. Been off this past setting one. Possibly because I got burned as as a nine-year-old by, by Clockwise Man, but yeah. Uh, understandable definitely let's move on to our next little bit which is uh just nice and quickly let's talk about uh because christopher eccleston is obviously a big finish now and uh as we've said releases are fantastically regular um what do we kind of want to see from the ninth doctor next so connor you go first uh, well, there's two things here that I've, I've, I've made a note of that I really want them to do in future. And they're not, you know, everyone, anyone who's asked this question is probably going to say the same thing. But I'd like a new companion uh, for the Fred. Ninth Doctor because it can't help sometimes but feel like we're treading water when there's just, you know, the Doctor on his own bouncing around different standalone stories. That's great. I love what we've got with the Ninth Doctor so far. But 
it feels like we're missing an opportunity for some sort of you know forward movement or character development that we can't really have with the ninth doctor because they're sort of restricted by the tv continuity but if you added in an original companion and had a story told with them um that sort of would open up a door i think that the series would really benefit from the other thing i really want them to do is do just for a set because uh, i know eccleson has you know said that he wants to work alone but i would love them to do a set with rose um with billy piper set in the middle of series one and just have like a wee mini season set in there tell you know even if it was a three-parter one you know three episodes uh with one story i would re i really hope to get to do that someday if 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 eccleson never comes around to the idea of of doing a, a story with rose again hopefully he'll warm to it fingers crossed uh but we are still getting um obviously rose's solo stuff with big finish and i'm sure there's room for her to appear with david tennant to be ever has a free day again ever um what about you sam future of the ninth doctor adventures what would you like to see um again kind of two things i think uh something i've appreciated about the series thus far is the with the historicals they've explored um some settings that are a little bit unfamiliar so they're not you know they're not just doing like victorian london and and tudor stuff and and all of those kind of like the the stuff that's like well trodden um you know like in lady Macbeth we got like like medieval scotland which is pretty we've never been there in doctor who as far as i know um early medieval scotland i should say even better and in uh false dimitri i sort of explored a part of uh like russian history that i was not very familiar with until until the episode came out um all of that like so i'd like them to carry on doing that um but the at the same time, those stories have been a little bit Eurocentric. And this is, I suppose this is possibly more of like a general big finish request. I'd like them to explore areas of, I'm, I'm speaking as a, hist a historian myself, uh, well, history student, but like, um, I'd like them to visit settings that are a little bit uh, unusual or unheard of because it's, being able to go anywhere in time is such a great opportunity to do something like that. Um, and I think Eccleston would respond well to to exploring those kind of like underserved narratives, perhaps. Um, also, in terms of like um, giving the series a bit of like forward momentum, I think maybe just again just for a set like stranding the Doctor in in one one setting would be good for that. Like so, over three episodes, you could then have like a supporting cast built up and some kind of relationships with the Doctor develop. Um, I'd like that to be somewhere like really far out and alien. I'm thinking kind of like. Uh, when the Eighth Doctor got stranded on Orbis, something something akin to that, um, where it's just like a super you'd be and it, you'd be able to develop this like a super weird, um, unusual alien setting, and exploring what I don't know like family dynamics are like in this weird, bizarre alien planet, uh, and kind of like how the culture works and all this stuff, uh, whilst also giving uh, the Night Doctor a, a consistent like supporting cast to bounce off for three hours. That's a really interesting thought. Yeah, I'd, I'd sort of separated from the TARDIS and yeah, that'd be quite good. I think um, Series 1 in terms of just TARDIS travel is very sort of traditional, isn't it? It's TARDIS lands, they get out at the start and then at the end of the story they get back in and take off again. There's no kind of... The TARDIS isn't really used beyond sort of the transport from A to B, with the exception of Boomtown, obviously, which kind of serves to reintroduce the audience or introduce the new audience to the series to what the TARDIS actually is and what it means. Um, but up until that point, it's very much just a box that plonks you in certain places for 45 minutes. Um We'll move on to our final little section then, which is what we always seem to end on. Uh, what have we been listening to? So it can be anything that's been in your ears at all, big finish or not, or yeah, just uh, what have you been listening to, Connor? Um, I've actually uh, spent a day catching up on Redacted. I, I hadn't listened there to, I think, two weeks in a row, um, or I missed last week's and caught up on it with this week's at the same time there. Um so that was the two with 
um, unit, Kate and Osgood, which I really, you know, I really did enjoy. I've, I'm, I'm glad the series has moved away slightly from them investigating old Doctor Who stories and moved on into its own thing uh, a little bit more. So I'm really enjoying that. Um, currently listening to um, Last of the Cybermen, part of the Locum Doctors trilogy. Um, getting through that quite well. So yeah, enjoying those. Excellent stuff. What about you, Sam? Uh, again, redacted. I uh, yeah, I've been I've been enjoying that a lot. I think we've got uh, I think when that finishes, we got a podcast episode lined up. So I'll talk about that more then. Um, otherwise, I'm not I'm not a super frequent big finish listener. I find it hard to find the time to do it. Uh, and I only buy the odd box set, so I kind of like it's a bit more of like a an event when one of those comes out. But I did listen. To, obviously, I've got like a big backlog. I listened to. Uh, when I read City of the Dead recently, the the Doctor novel, I listened to uh, Kedroya right after because it's also written by Lord Rose. Thought that was great. Um, I have only ever approached the Divergent series in like a scattered approach. I've just sort of listened, picked and chosen, and so I've got an impression of it is actually really good and strong. Uh, when I know n- not all fans would uh, ag- agree with that assessment. Um, and uh, I listened to Bessie Come Home as well. The uh, part of the Beyond the Doctor series of the originals um, I thought that was good I, I didn't realise it was part of a, a more connected set between all of those I, I didn't realise the kind of arc running through those or, or so that I felt a little bit lost uh, but it was good, it was just great hearing a story told from the perspective of the Doctor's car like how how good is that it was basically just retreading the Pertwee era in a sense but from like a obviously a very interesting like humorous perspective so yeah i enjoyed that ah, great stuff well we will have to leave it there uh we've gone over an hour it's a long one <laughs> um so i will very quickly say goodbye and thank you to you both so thank you connor thank you very much and thanks very much to sam yeah thank you and uh, we'll have you both back on soon uh goodbye yeah, everybody. can't wait yeah bye-bye bye